Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, with that all being said, let's start the show. Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Kevin Owens coming down to the ring dressed to compete, and before he can get a whole full sentence out, JBL will come out to interrupt him. JBL will make fun of the crowd before telling Kevin Owens that he doesn't believe that he could beat Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble. And then JBL will bring out the man that actually has beaten Roman Reigns in the past four years. The last man to do so cleanly was Baron Corbin. So Corbin will come out. Corbin and JBL will continue to make fun of both the crowd and Kevin Owens before Kevin Owens tells them to shut up, that he just wants to fight Corbin. So we get that match underway. Kevin Owens would win the match by pinfall by hitting Corbin with a stunner. And that's it. After the match, Kevin Owens will leave the ring and he will see Jay Uso hop in the barricade before being mugged by both Jimmy Uso and Solo Zakoa. Now the bloodline will continue to get the upper hands on Kevin Owens until KO will get a steel chair and beat up on the bloodline. This will send the bloodline just basically retreating and up the ramp. Now we will go backstage. Adam Pierce would walk up to the bloodline and tell the Usos that later tonight there's going to be a tag team turmoil match and the winners will get a shot at the Raw Tag Team Championships and tell the Usos they are free to leave. Now you see the Usos about to leave. They tell Solo to come along with them. Pierce would stop Solo and say Solo has to stay because he has a match with Dolph Ziggler tonight. The Usos would detest this and say that they aren't leaving if Kevin Owens is still here. Pierce would assure them that Kevin Owens has left the building and was aware of what would happen if he stayed. So the Usos would dab up Solo, and then the officials and referees would walk the Usos out of the arena. Now, with that, I was kind of shocked to hear that Adam Pierce said for the Raw Tag Team titles, I thought that it was kind of like a botch or type of a blunder of words. But no, he meant the Raw Tag Team Championships because they show a highlight like match graphic of the teams that will be competing in this tag team turmoil matchup later in the night. And it on the bottom of the stipulations, it says winners will get a shot at the raw tag team championships. So they're trying to uh, underlyingly tell you that they are no longer the undisputed tag team champions anymore. They're trying to separate both the titles back to a raw championship and SmackDown tag team championship. So they're trying to make sure everybody is aware that, this whole storyline of the bloodline being dominant is slowly coming to an end. So that was just the first step, I believe, for what they're planning on doing down the line. Now, after this, we will see Alexa Bliss appear on the top of the commentary table and mention how Bianca Belair isn't here tonight. Alexa will say that she doesn't feel bad for what she did to Bianca last week, and she finally feels good. Bianca doesn't have to worry about Bray Wyatt or Uncle Howdy. She has to worry about Alexa Bliss because Alexa Bliss is now finally in control. Alexa mentions that she's going to take the Raw Women's Championship away from Bianca Belair. And then Bray Wyatt's logo would appear on the screen. And then a cryptic video will show images of Alexa when she was under the control of Bray Wyatt. Circa the Thunderdome era in twenty, late 2020, early 2021. And now you would see that and then... Uncle Howdy would appear on the screen, and then he would appear on the stage, and then you would just see Alexa just stare down with Uncle Howdy. Uncle Howdy never makes his way down to the ring. He just stands on the stage, and you just see Alexa just having her eyes fixated on Uncle Howdy. So this is still continuing the story of this big overarching story of Bray, Uncle Howdy, Alexa Bliss, and what does this all mean? We have no idea yet. Is still developing. 
again, I'm giving Bray a lot of leeway because Bray is a creative guy. He has a lot of creative ideas and it just takes time for it to manifest into what we all can see into the big picture. So at this point, we still have no idea what Uncle Howdy wants with Alexa and hopefully probably next week on Monday Night Raw, we'll start getting more and more details of what Uncle Howdy wants with Alexa. Now, after this, we will have Bailey with Damage Control in her corner going against Mia Yim. Bailey, at the beginning of the match, will tell Damage Control to go to the back so she can do this alone because she wants to show Becky Lynch that she can do this actually by herself because Becky isn't here. Bailey would get the win on Mia by getting her with a backslide pin by also putting her feet on the ropes for extra leverage when the referee wasn't looking. So Bailey did get the win even by nefarious means, but she still proved her point. She actually can do it by herself without her two stable mates. However, later in the night, Bailey would get confronted by Mia Yim, and this time Bailey is with her stable mates and they put a beat down on Mia Yim later in the night. Now, after this, we have Austin Theory come down to the ring. Theory will say that the now is forever proclaiming himself. He would mockingly ask the people, where is the visionary? Theory would say that he outclassed and outshined Seth Rollins last week. And speak of the devil and the devil will appear. Seth Rollins will come out on crutches. And as he's slowly walking his way down to the ring on the crutches, he will quickly ditch one of the crutch and start walking to the ring, playing with the other crutch as he walks the way down to the ring. The reason why he's having crutches, or he did have both crutches now he has one is because he kind of tweaked his knee last week on Monday Night Raw and he wanted to sell the idea that he actually really hurt it really bad but from the way that he walked to the ring he was actually able to hold himself pretty well. Theory would remind Seth that he can act like his knee doesn't bother him but both of them know it does. Theory would tell Seth that he has passed him and he's on to bigger things like winning the Royal Rumble Seth would give an update to the people and say that his knee isn't 100%, but it will be enough when he wins the Royal Rumble. Seth would get closer to Theory and tell that he will see him at the Rumble and cost Theory a kid. Now, Seth does this to just get underneath the skin of Austin Theory, and Seth would hand Theory his crutch and then leave the ring. Now, once Seth leaves the ring, Bobby Lashley would appear. Bobby Lashley hasn't been on Monday Night Raw for a whole entire month, and commentary team mentions that Bobby is back because his suspension has been lifted by the WWE board, so that's the reason why he's back on Monday Night Raw. Bobby would walk past Seth and get in the ring with Theory. Theory would swing the crutch at Bobby but miss, and Bobby would hit Theory with a spear. Bobby would grab a microphone and announce that he is a part of the Royal Rumble, so Right now, the Royal Rumble looks like it's taking shape with Kofi Kingston, Ricochet, Seth Rollins, Theory, and Bobby Lashley. So far, all five men have been announced in the Royal Rumble by Monday night. This Royal Rumble, those five guys, it seems pretty good right now. Now, after this, we have Rhea Ripley going against Candice LeRae. Rhea would win the match by pinfall by hitting Riptide on Candice for the win. Everybody knew Rhea was going to win that, but it was just a nice, good match for Candice to show everybody that she is a credible uh, opponent for Rhea and that she could be a credible opponent for Bianca Belair down the line for the Raw Women's Championship. But again, the main focus point on the Raw Women's Division right now, at least in my opinion, and I believe to everybody, is Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley. 
After this, we would have Solo Sokoa going against Dolph Ziggler. Solo would win the match by pinfall, when Solo would catch Dolph Ziggler as Dolph would go for a famous serve, but Solo would catch him and then hit him with a popped-up Samoan Spike for the win. I gotta say, the Samoan Spike that Solo Sokoa does, I like that he's paying tribute to his uncle, and just the transition of how he can hit the Samoan Spike anywhere is a nice flair because right now we're missing the RKO out of anywhere so having another person hitting a finisher out of anywhere is a nice look and I'm glad that it's solo because a lot of people are putting a lot of uh pressure onto solo and it's not like solo can't handle it but just for him to be new on the main roster and him to be given the spotlight that they're giving him I'm glad that he's actually able to handle it. And with the finisher that he got paying homage and also he can hit it out of nowhere, I think is going to make him even more dangerous of an opponent for anybody later down the line. Now, after this, we have The Miz coming out for Miz TV with his guest, The Judgment Day. And it was really all about Dominic Mysterio, to be honest. Dominic will come out here with a purple bandana wrapped around his mouth and he will have like a teardrop on his face. Mind you, this is all about Dominic spending a small amount of time in prison. So Dominic's really playing on the fact of the whole idea of when you go to prison, you got to act hard, you got to act tough, you got to act gangster. So that's the reason why Dom's out here. He's portraying that image. Dom would act hard and tell stories like he was in prison for a long time. But again, The Miz would say that his sources told him that Dom only spent seven hours in prison. And this, again, was the whole blowout, Dominic's whole charade of, again, trying to act tough. So you will see the Judgment Day walk up on The Miz, and now you will see the Good Brothers come out to basically stop this whole situation from going down. And this will begin the tag team turmoil match in the main event of Monday Night Raw. And the winner, again, of the tag team turmoil would be the number one contenders for the Raw Tag Team Championships. Now, the teams in this tag team turmoil are the club, which are the Good Brothers, Judgment Day's Finn Balor and Damian Priest, Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, the Alpha Academy, and the Street Profits. The Judgment Day would run the gambit and beat all teams here. First, they would beat the club. Then Cedric and Shelton would come out. They would beat them. And then Alpha Academy would come out. They would beat them. And in the process, Finn Balor, he would get injured, and the referee and the medics would come down there to make sure and see if Finn could continue. They would say that Finn couldn't continue. So Adam Pierce would tell Damian Priest that, yo, it's either you teaming up with Dominic or you guys will be forfeiting. Damian Priest would look at Dom and say, he's ready. So Dominic would be Finn Balor's replacement. And the only team they have to face left is the Street Profits, which they do defeat. So now at the end, you have Damian Priest, Dominic Mysterio standing tall over the Street Profits and the Judgment Day or the number one contenders for the Raw Tag Team Championships. And once they start walking up the ramp, the Usos will come out, and they will get in the face of Judgment Day, holding up the Raw Tag Team titles to signify that they're the champs. So, again, we're building up for the Usos going against the Judgment Day. This is a fresh tag team matchup. I thought that the Street Profits were probably going to win this, because the Usos and Street Profits, they're kind of kindred spirits, the same way that the Usos and the New Day are kindred spirits. But for a fresh tag team like the Judgment Day to go against the Usos, I'm not mad at that at all. As anything, I think that that's going to be a great tag team match. And if I'm going to truly be honest, I think if the Judgment Day take the tag titles off the Usos, 
I don't think nobody's really going to complain about that. And commentary did make a mention that the Judgment Day were the only tag team in that tag team turmoil match to not hold any tag team gold. So that could kind of lay the foundation for the Judgment Day to be the ones to take the Raw tag team titles away from the Usos. But only time will tell. And that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, off to NXT. This is their New Year's Evil edition. So the first match of the show would be Tony D'Angelo with Stax in his corner going against Dijak. Now, earlier in the match, you will see Dijak handcuff Stax to the middle ropes of the ring so that he won't be able to interfere in the match. Also, Wesley was on commentary for the match. Dijak would win the match by pinfall when Tony was getting himself up in the corner because him and Dijak have been putting on a beating on each other. And as Tony is trying to get himself up, you see Stax, who's still handcuffed in the middle of the ropes. He would get in the ring and tell Tony to let him handle Dijak, and he would call him boss. Tony would grab Stax and tell him that he isn't his boss. He's his family, and they kiss him on his forehead and then shove him out of the way because he saw Dijak coming to hit him. So once Tony does this, Dijak will hit Tony with a cyclone kick and then cover Tony D'Angelo for the win. So Dijak is more than likely your next number one contender for the North American Championship. That's probably the reason why Wesley was out here. Matter of fact, that was the reason why, because Wesley mentioned a week ago that he was going to be out here and the winner was going to be the next number one contender, but they have never, ever like announced it. So more or less, again, Dijak is more than likely your number one contender for the NXT North American Championship. And I like the story that we're telling with Tony D'Angelo and Stax because, again, Tony is Stax's boss, but Tony just seems, or he's starting to see Stax as more of a family member than just a foot soldier. So I like the story that we're teaching with Tony and Stax here. Now, after this, we were supposed to have Indy Shear going against the Creed Brothers, but that doesn't happen because the Creed Brothers are out in the ring waiting for Indy Shear, but only Sunga will come out. Sunga will tell them that Veer isn't here, but he will still honor the match and face them in a handicap match. Julius would decline that and say that this match was about respect, but Veer isn't here to show them any type of respect. And once Julius is talking, the crowd will start cheering. And I thought, okay, Veer was going to attack the Creed from behind, old wrestling trope, but no, it was Jinder Mahal, former WWE champion. Jinder would attack the Creed from behind, and then Sangha would join in. And now you see Jinder and Sangha beat up on the Creed's, Jinder will get a mic and say that Veer and Sangha fight for respect, but he doesn't and drops the mic. So later in the night, you will see Julius Creed leaving the trainer's room. Ivy Nile will come up to him and ask him, hey, you need to be back there with Brutus. Julius says, no, I need to have a match with Jinder because I'm tired of people jumping us. I'm tired of people taking us as jokes and think that we soft. So Julius will get the match made for later in the night himself going against Jinder Mahal. Now, after this, we were supposed to have Pretty Deadly going to run the gauntlet, going against three tag teams for a shot at the NXT Tag Team Championships. Now, the first tag team that they went against was a mismatch of jobbers, just two guys who were nobodies. Pretty Deadly beat them nice and easy quickly. The New Day will come out and say, okay, I see what you guys are doing. So we had a team set up for this exact reason if you tried this. So they will call out Idris, Anafe, and Malik Blade. That's the second team Pretty Deadly went against. Pretty Deadly would beat them. Now that they have worked up a sweat, Pretty Deadly is waiting for the third team to come out 
New Day would announce Briggs and Jensen, but Briggs and Jensen doesn't come out. We would see a video of Briggs and Jensen in the back laid out, and we're trying to figure out who took out Briggs and Jensen, and it wouldn't take us long to find that out because Gallus would come out, Mark Coffey and Wolfgang would come out. Mark Coffey and Wolfgang were the guys that took out Briggs and Jensen because Briggs and Jensen were the team that actually beat Gallus a couple months ago. And that's the reason why we haven't seen Gallus on NXT TV for some time. So now this seems like this was Gallus' uh, receipt to Briggs and Jensen here. So you see Gallus come out. They take Briggs and Jensen's spot in this gauntlet match. So now you have Gallus beating Pretty Deadly, and they are your new number one contenders for the NXT Tag Team Championships. And they will have a face down with the New Day. So again, we're building up to Gallus versus New Day, and it would be announced that next week Gallus will be going against Briggs and Jensen. So we have that match set for next week on NXT. Now, after this, we would get the re-debut of Tiffany Stratton, who hasn't been on NXT television since August 23rd, when her last match was against Wendy Chu in a Lights Out match. So, Tiffany's out here. She still has the Valley Girl accent. Tiffany will start by patting herself on the back for taking to this business in eight months quicker than any woman before. She will also mention being away for five months and seeing how women in NXT have been failing to carry the ball, but since she is back in NXT, the universe will continue to revolve around her. And that's it. That was a quick mission statement from Tiffany Stratton. Tiffany was basically here to let everybody be on notice that she's back and that she's going to be the top priority of the NXT Women's Division. Now, the interesting thing to note about this was that Tiffany would not take part in the 20-woman battle royal in the main event of the show. She would just basically leave the building and just leave out. So that's that for Tiffany up tonight. Now, out of this, we've had the NXT Championship match of Braun Breaker defending his championship against Grayson Waller. Braun would win the match by countout. Grayson Waller would walk the second rope, and the rope would snap on him, sending Grayson Waller falling out of the ring. And now, as the referee was counting, Grayson Waller would lay on the ground until the count of eight, and he would start trying to get himself to his feet. He would even try to use the rope that snapped on him, but in the end, it still wouldn't matter. He wouldn't make the count. Braun Breaker retains the championship by countout. Now, just to make note, this isn't the first time the freaking ropes would break in the match. The first time it would break was because Braun Breaker tried to hit Grayson Waller with a spear. Grayson Waller would move. Braun would hit the second turnbuckle. It would not pop yet. Once Braun got up, Grayson Waller would shove Braun's back into the turnbuckle, and that's whenever the second turnbuckle would pop and leading to the ropes to explode and hit the mat. And as commercial was going on, and Braun and Grayson Waller was still like battle in the ring. You would see like the production team come out there to try to fix up the second ropes. And obviously, as you could tell, it didn't uh, hold up well because, as you could tell from what I said earlier, Grayson Waller he would lose a match by countout. Now, as NXT would continue to go on, you would see a tweet from Shawn Michaels pull up on the show, and Shawn mentions how, listen, I know we all weren't happy how that match ended and I have a decision by the end of the night to let everyone know what's going to happen so we will have to wait and see by the end of the night what Sean has to do to fix this NXT championship match that ended in a ring out now after this we had Charlie Dempsey going against Hank Walker with Drew Gulak in his corner Charlie Dempsey would win the match by submission when Charlie will lock 
in a leg and chin lock on Hank William at the same time, and Hank would hold out for as long as he could before eventually tapping out to Charlie Dempsey. Now, Hank would be able to get Charlie in an arm bar, and Charlie would look like he would be in some type of struggle, but you got to remember, Charlie is one of those technician guys. He comes from England. Those guys over there in Europe, they learn all about technique. So if you try to get them in a submission, best believe they know a counter out of it, but it's going to take them some time. And Hank caught Charlie by surprise, basically. That's what this match was all about. Hank Walker, he's still not a polished wrestler as Charlie Dempsey is or even a Drew Gulak. So for Hank Walker to get Charlie in a armbar, it was basically just so surprising for Charlie. But I think everybody knew the outcome was Charlie was going to eventually like beat Hank Walker. So again, Charlie beat Hank Walker here. After this, we had the matchup of Julius Creed going against Jinder Mahal with Sangha in his corner. Jinder Mahal would win the match by pinfall thanks to Sangha getting on the ring apron when Julius was on the top turnbuckle. This would distract Julius, and when he would go for the shooting star press, Jinder Mahal would move, and Julius would land on his feet and tweak his knee. This would allow Jinder to hit Julius with a sidekick to the head, and then finish him off with the Coloss, which is basically a Cobra, sl cobra Clutch slam to the mat. So Jinder would pin Julius for the win. Jinder Mahal being back at NXT, I have no problem with that because, again, once you have nothing to do on the main roster, I have no problem with them sending you down to NXT to rejuvenate you and also do help out uh, NXT talent down there. And more importantly, Jinder Mahal is a former WWE champion. So for NXT talent to have on their resume that they beat Jinder Mahal, a former WWE champion, I think that's a good thing to have on their resume. But it still brings the question why was Veer not on NXT? I don't understand that it wasn't under like it wasn't broke down to anybody on commentary. It would just mention that he just wasn't here. So, again, we'll have to wait and see probably next week if all three guys are a part of a group now or not. We'll just have to wait and see. Now off to the main event, 20 woman battle royale for the winner to face Roxanne Perez at Vengeance Day for the NXT Women's Championship. The final four ladies in this match were Alba Fire, Lyra Valkyria, and Toxic Attractions, Gigi Dolan, and JC Jane. Now, as you can tell, Gigi and JC, they worked together to try to eliminate Alba Fire and Lyra Valkyria, but it was Lyra who was actually able to get Alba Fire eliminated, and then once Lyra was on the ring apron, you would see Cora J come out from the audience and try to eliminate Lyra, but she wasn't able to. It was actually Toxic Attraction, Gigi, and JC to eliminate Vira, but Cora J play a distraction to it. The reason why Cora was going after Lyra in this incident was because Lyra was the one to eliminate Cora Jade at the beginning of the Battle Royal. So Cora was the first person to be eliminated. And that came to a shock to everyone because everybody thought that Cora Jade was going to make it at least to the Fatal Four. But Lyra took her out. So this was basically her payback for this. So when it came down to Gigi and JC... Both of them started to smile. Both of them raised their hand up in victory because they mentioned it earlier backstage in a backstage interview that the winners of this battle royal were going to be Tosk Attraction. And the interviewer asked them, what happened if it came down to you two? And she said that the winner would be Toxic Attraction. So now you have Gigi and JC, the final two. You see them both trying to look at each other. They smile. They are happy. And then 
you see JC trying to tell Gigi, listen, I'll bow out so you can take the win. And you see JC start to slowly walk towards the ropes. And then she just turns around, looks at Gigi and just kicks her. And you just start seeing them both battling with each other. In the end, both ladies will be on the corner of the turnbuckle. And they basically headbutt each other and they'll fall off and they both will hit the mat at the exact same time outside of the ring. So now you got one referee saying that JC won. You have another referee saying that Gigi won. They will have to go to a monitor, look back at the replay, see whose foot touched the mat outside of the ring first. And in the end, both of their feet touched the mat first outside of the ring. There's no clear winner. So they would declare both women the winner of this Battle Royale, Gigi and JC. So both of them will be facing Roxanne Perez at Vengeance Day for the NXT Women's Championship in a triple threat. So Roxanne will come out. You will see her look at both of them. She will raise up the NXT Women's Championship still smiling. So that's the match that we're getting at Vengeance Day. Now, after this, we will go backstage where Shawn Michaels is with both Braun Breaker and Grayson Waller. And Shawn will tell both of the men that at Vengeance Day, it will be those two for the NXT Championship inside of a steel cage. Grayson Waller and Braun Breaker are smiling at this opportunity to be locked inside of a steel cage. So that match gets made official as well. So I can't wait to see that steel cage. I can't wait to see that triple threat match. I can't wait to see how they continue to build this up because they only got what? Three more weeks until the actual event happens. And I can't wait to see how they continue to build up for the triple threat and the, well, the championship between Grayson and uh, Braun Breaker. And also now probably with Gallus going against the New Day at Vengeance Day or New Day going against Gallus and Pretty Deadly. However they want to do it, it's going to be a nice uh, situation. Also Wesley going against Dijak as well at Vengeance Day. I know all these matches are going to be shaped up for Vengeance Day at NXT. And NXT right now, they're cooking. I don't care what nobody says. NXT, they're cooking down there. And with that, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with John Moxley going against Hangman Page. Hangman Page would win the match by pinfall when John Moxley got cocky. When Hangman Page was down on the mat and John Moxley would make the cutthroat gesture, Hangman would get up and back headbutt John Moxley, leading to both men basically start slapping one another until Hangman would hit John Moxley with a clothesline. Hangman would then follow that up with the buckshot lariat for the win. Now after the match, the doctor for AEW will get in the ring to look at John Moxley because John will look dazed in the ring and the camera will get closer up on John and you will see that John Moxley is asking the doctor what happened. So now we're going into the realm of John Moxley probably having some head problems now after he was taunting Hangman for weeks about him being injury with his head and all that type of stuff now it seems about turnabout is fair play with John Moxley now that's at least what we're getting to with this story in this scenario with John Moxley and Hangman in this stage of their rivalry now I would say if you have enough time please go back to watch John Moxley and Hangman Page this match was nothing but them just throwing hands uh you get them slamming each other from time to time but it was nothing but just a straight up solid dirty nasty brawl out with Moxley and Hangman and that's exactly what I expected whenever you got this match announced I on Rampage last week and I was not disappointed so again go and watch John Moxley versus Hangman Page now after this Tony Schiavone would come down to the ring and Tony Schiavone would say listen there's a couple of guys that I don't like to interview and 
I'm about to introduce you to one of these guys right now. And I thought, okay, it's going to be MJF because MJF is supposed to come out here and he's supposed to talk to the people. But oh, no, it's Adam Cole. Adam Cole will come back and the whole crowd will just be so shocked once Adam Cole's music hits. They start chanting for Adam Cole. Cole will be so receptive to this. You can even see as he's walking down, he has a big smile on his face. He's loving the adulation that he's uh, getting here. Um, Adam Cole hasn't been seen in ring competition since the Fatal 4-Way match at Forbidden Door where he got a concussion. But the last time we actually saw him on AEW was whenever him, Kyle Riley, and Bobby Fish would turn on the Young Bucks. So that was in August. So he's been out since August in the limelight of AEW and he's been home. So this was a great uh, surprise for everybody at home and also everybody in the arena to see Adam Cole here. Adam will start off by saying, who's ready for story time with Adam Cole, baby? So you get the fans cheering for that. Adam Cole will say, you guys have no idea how long I have been ready to say that. And again, he cracks a smile on his face because again, he is just so happy to be back in the middle of the ring. And he will say, this is kind of a good news, bad news situation. Adam would start off by saying for the last months, he has been dealing with a bad shoulder that has been torn to shreds and two serious head-to-head injuries back-to-back. Adam would then lay out in extreme details what fresh hell he has been in for those months that he was away from AEW. He has had headaches, uh, dizzy spells multiple times a day, and he even talks about that if he was in a car for more than 15 minutes, He had the notion that he had to vomit, and even sometimes he did vomit, and it even got bad that from time to time when he went to sleep, he would wake up with mixed emotions, and he would be pacing back and forth, and his girlfriend, Britt Baker, would wake up and ask him, is he okay, and is he good, and he would look at her with a tear in his eye and say that he doesn't know what's going on with him, so Adam Cole was going through a lot for months with people not knowing anything about it. And he talks about to the fans saying, you guys didn't know nothing about it. But he would talk about how much he really appreciated them. Because when he was gone, he would read comments online. And people were just sending nothing but goodwill and gesture to him by tweeting out or making comments saying, listen, I hope Adam Cole's okay today. I don't care if Adam Cole ever wrestles again. They just want Adam Cole to be okay. And that just, again, it brightened up Adam Cole when he wanted to show his uh, appreciation to the fans and he just says thank you for all the time that they have been surrounding him with support so now it's time for the bad news he will say i have some bad news but it's not for me the thing is the bad news it's not for me the bad news is for the AEW locker room because adam paul is back i'm not going anywhere my career was over. I thought for sure I was finished. Instead, I stand before you today saying, no way, I ain't done yet. Because I have been one of the best damn pro wrestlers on the planet for 15 years, and I will not stop. I will not stop until I am the very best. I've accomplished a lot of amazing things here in AEW, but let's get real. Adam Cole hasn't even scratched the surface on what he's capable of. I want everybody, 
Everyone in this building, everyone at home, I want you to remember this day. This is a day where the new Adam Cole is born. And Adam Cole, who will make a promise. One day, no matter how long it takes, one man will be at the top of the mountain here in AEW. And Los Angeles, his name? Now that you heard from Adam Cole, you can now tell that he is ready to get back in the ring. That it will not be announced when he is getting back into the ring, however. But whenever the time is right, you can best believe he's going to make an impact when he gets back in the ring. Now, he's gunning for the world championship. As we already know, Adam Cole's a world champion competitor. And he has the caliber to be world champion. But when is he going to do it? I don't know. I hope that he goes after Eddie Kingston gets his crack at MJF, to be honest with you. Because, again, MJF did put out a list on Twitter um, a couple weeks ago. Matter of fact, a month ago when he won the championship. And he had a list of people that would never, ever take the title off of him. And he had Adam Cole on that list. So hopefully we get MJF versus Adam Cole somewhere down the line. Not too far, but hopefully soon. But after Eddie Kingston, because I want Eddie to get a crack at MJF first before Adam Cole does. That's just me being personally for me, but again, Adam Cole going at the MGF, I can't wait to see that just whenever Kingston gets a crack at it first. Now, after this, we get a tag team match of Big Bill Morrissey and Lee Moriarty with Stokely Hathaway in their corner going against Jungle Hook, which is Jungle Boy and Hook. Um, Jungle Hook would win the match by submission when Jungle Boy will have Lee Moriarty trapped in the snare trap and Lee Moriarty would tap out. Now, the highlight of this match was whenever Hook and Bill Morrissey would get in the ring with each other and Hook would just stare down with Bill. And you just constantly see the fans cheering for this. Hook would try to T-bone suplex Morrissey multiple times through the match. He couldn't do it, but when he finally got to do it, the whole crowd just basically cheered and got out of their seats for it. Because again, AEW has done well with building up the aura of Hook. They have done extremely well with that, and the fans just love Hook so much. So, again, hopefully we get to see more Hook on AEW television, more than we did last year in 2022. That's just a hope. I hope this match indicates more uh, screen time for Hook in 2023 on Dynamite. Now, after this, we will have Brian Danielson going against Kanosuke Takeshita. However, before Brian Danielson does come out, MGF will come down to the ring. MGF will start by looking at Takeshita is saying konnichiwa. And MGF is being a complete prick to, to Takeshita all throughout this whole segment. He would insult Takeshita by mispronouncing his last name. MGF would tell Takeshita that he needs Takeshita to beat Brian. And then you hear MGF put the mic up to Takeshita's mouth. And Takeshita would speak Japanese to MGF. And MGF would respond to Takeshita by saying, Hey, listen, around these parks, we speak American. Again, MGF is being a complete total dickhead to Takeshita. Takeshita would translate what he said to MGF and say that he is going to kick MGF's butt. MGF would get irate by this and give Takeshita a little shove, and Takeshita would shove MGF back. MGF would tell the referee to get Takeshita out of the ring or he'll be fine, which was real odd. And even the commentator said, okay, even MGF's taking this a little stretch. But Takeshita would get out of the ring and MGF would have the ring to himself. MGF would talk about how people are saying that he can't last one hour or that he's afraid to go against Brian Danson in a one-hour Ironman match. And he would ask the fans, do you guys think I can't go one hour? 
do you guys think I can't last? And the fans are just cheering and saying that you can't last. And MJF is given the easiest softball I've ever seen. And he just straight up clocks it right out of the park by saying, you can go ahead and ask your mother, your sisters, and your skanky girlfriends how long MGF can last. So again, they just threw MGF a nice softball for him to just slam it right out of the park. MGF would then look around ringside to see the celebrities that are around ringside, and he would see both Dr. Ken Jong and Freddie Prince Jr., and he would make fun of both of them. And again, this is just going off with the MGF shtick of being a complete douchebag. Brian Danson would run down to the ring and he would run MJF off so Brian could have his match with Takeshita. And once that match happens, Brian and Takeshita would have a good match, but Brian would win the match by submission by locking in the regal lock, well, regal stretch. And the referee would call for the bell after seeing Takeshita being unconscious. And it was announced that next week Brian Danson will go against Bandito. So it just seems that we're going to get nice caliber matches week by week with Brian Danielson going against high caliber uh, individuals. This week was Takeshita. Next week is going to be Bandito. I can't wait to see who's going to be after Bandito. Now, after this, we have Tony Storm and Soraya going against Britt Baker and the AEW Women's Champion, Jamie Hayter, with Rebel in their corner. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter would win the match by pinfall, thanks in part to interference from Hukaru Shida. When Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm were on the mat, both laid out, Rebel would get on the ring apron and distract the referee. Sheeta, who's by ringside by this time because she just wanted to show support for Tony and Soraya, she would like slide in her candlestick in the middle of the ring between Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter. Britt Baker would quickly get in the ring, grab the candlestick, and hit Tony in the back with it. Jamie Hayter would grab Tony and finish her off with Hayter Raid and pin her for the win. So this is going to add some fuel, more than likely with Tony Storm and Soraya going against Hukaru Shida and probably asking her why did she do this, which more than likely Shida will probably like snap off and get at Soraya for picking Tony Storm instead of her. So again, we're probably going to get that more than likely next week on Dynamite. I'm just guessing that probably we won't, probably we will. I will say we should, but who am I? Now, after this, we would get the Jericho Appreciation Society coming down to the ring you have Jericho and his group. Uh, Jericho would talk about what they did last week. Um, first, he mentions going to PWG. So, again, shout outs to PWG. That was the place where basically I say that AEW is basically the evolution of. It's just PWG with television. That's what I think AEW is. So, if you don't know what PWG is, PWG is a California based uh, independent circuit where a lot of high profile independent professional wrestlers or even sometimes contracted professional wrestlers from the AEW or Impact will be wrestling or even Ring of Honor will be wrestling from time to time years ago and you just get high caliber matches that nobody thought they would see unless you had to go to PWG and that's how certain people even got their names like uh, Kevin Owens or a Sami Zayn or a Pac or other people would get their names before they got signed to WWE mad years ago so again PWG is still and uh, still in high demand over there in California. I just wish they would put out more YouTube trailers like they used to do. Somehow they're slacking on that. So PWG, please get that fixed. Um, anyway, after that, Jericho mentions that Jake Hager powerbombed Ricky Starks outside of the ring through a table last week. And that's the reason why Ricky Starks isn't here. But Ricky Starks and Action Andretti would appear on the stage. 
action Andretti would get at Daniel Garcia for being under Sammy Guevara. And he would tell Sammy that he needs to control his girl and watch where her hands be because last week her hands were around his genitals when she low blowed him. And that would get Sammy upset. Ricky would tell Jericho that he needs to move out of the way so he could talk to Jake Hager. Ricky would tell Jake that it's a shame that he used to be a collegiate amateur wrestler, and now that he's joined Jericho, he's been relegated down to a village idiot. Ricky would say that next week, Jake is going to be in the ring with someone that is absolute, so the match is being confirmed. Ricky starts going against Jake Hager next week on Dynamite. Now we get into the main event of Dynamite. The main event is match seven of the trio's uh, championship series between the Elite and Death Triangle. It is a ladder match, or as they would like to call it, Escalera de la Muertes. Now, I would like to point something out here. Kenny Omega came out with the IWGP United States Championship that he won against Will Ospreay last week at Wrestle Kingdom here. And there was a difference in Kenny Omega here. Obviously, he couldn't do as much stuff as high impactful things as you would want him to do because, again, he's still recovering from his match with Will Ospreay last week at Wrestle Kingdom. And also, Don Callis, who was on commentary, he would say that, uh, Kenny Omega is on 17 hour uh, jet lag from his trip from Japan so that probably played into effect of how impactful Kenny Omega was in this match let's not get it twisted he still did what he had to do he still performed at a high level for Kenny Omega but he did not perform the way that you saw him perform at Wrestle Kingdom here in this trios match and I would like to say that you know when you look at Kenny Omega in New Japan from that Wrestle Kingdom match to here he I just want to note one subtle thing. Kenny Omega had extensions in his hair at New Japan. And people might say, okay, what, what does that mean? Kenny Omega goes into a high stakes, like different atmosphere in rap. People would like to say he enter a di different zone. He enter into outer space. For Kenny Omega, he entered into outer space Anytime he goes into New Japan in those high-pressure situations, he gets longer hair, he has, or as people say, put extensions in his hair, and he just goes off. I mean, he just be moving, and just, he just throws everything just straight up caution to the wind, just goes full blast for it. Here in AEW, I think that he was actually a little bit laxed in this match again, because he was dealing with, again, the Will Ospreay stuff, recovering from it, but also I think that he had the comfort that he knows that he has the Young Bucks by his side, one of the great tag teams of, well, the past decade by his side, and also best friends that he know that he could just lean on and be like, yo, you guys need to kind of cover for me a little bit here. I'm still kind of recovering. And the Young Bucks, they did their thing here. Also with Death Triangle, all six guys, they pulled their weight in this ladder match here. And Kenny Omega and Phoenix, I promise you, one of these days, they're going to have one of these longtime rivalries, and I would like for that to happen. Phoenix and Kenny, they have some chemistry, especially with the way that Phoenix keeps on taking these one-winged angels. In match six, you saw Kenny hit one-winged angel on Phoenix off of a perch outside of the ring in the crowded area. And in match seven here, you saw Kenny hit a one-winged angel off of a ladder onto the mat. And Phoenix just got nailed bad on that one-winged angel. It looked bad to me. I don't know how anybody can... with knowledge of what the one-winged angel is because you're literally bending your back and you're getting driven into the mat and you're basically hitting your top upper body 
onto that in a weird, awkward position. I don't know how anybody agrees to take that one-winged angel off of a ladder, but Phoenix does, and by God, more respect and power to Phoenix here. Um, Kenny would win the match for his team when Kenny would go to the top of the ladder, unhinge one of the championships. All three of them were hooked there, but you only have to unhinge one of them, and Kenny would do that, and that's how the Elite would win. Now, again, all six men, they put their bodies on the line in this matchup. Even Alex Weberhantes and Brandon Cutler, they got involved in this. But majority of the action was between literally the Bucks and Kenny going against Pac and the Lucha Brothers. And again, I would also suggest you watch this match if you have enough time. Please go back to AEW Dynamite. Watch the beginning of the show. Watch the ending of the show. Matter of fact, watch the whole show. AEW Dynamite was fine this week. It was great. I just want you guys to please check out the beginning of the show with John Moxley and Hangman and also the main event, the Trios Championship ladder match. Please, if you have enough time, please watch it. But if I had to pick out of one of the two, I always go with the ones with the stipulations. So I would say go with the ladder match. But again, check out the whole show if you got enough time. And with that, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. It will start off with Ryan Myers with Matt Cardona in his corner going against Heath, who had Rhino in his corner. Heath would win the match by pinfall by hitting the wake-up call for the win. After this, we have Rosemary with Havoc in her corner going against Savannah Evans, who had Tasha Steeles, Giselle Shaw, and Jay Vidal in her corner. Savannah Evans would win the match by pinfall thanks in parts to Tasha, Giselle, and Vidal. When Rosemary would hit Savannah Evans with a spear, Jay Vidal will get on the ring apron to distract the referee. Havoc will go over to Vidal, grab him from the ring apron, and shove him to the mat. Well, to the ground. Tasha will then get on the ring apron and distract the referee. And so would Giselle Shaw. Savannah would get Rosemary in a full Nelson position, but Rosemary would get out of it. And Savannah would run towards Rosemary, and Rose would move out of the way, making Savannah almost hit Giselle. Savannah would stop, and Rosemary would run towards Savannah, Savannah would move, and Rosemary would knock Giselle off the ring apron. Savannah would take this opportunity to then grab Rosemary and hit a full Nelson slam for the win. Now, after the match, Havoc will get in the ring to look at Rosemary to make sure she's okay, but both Havoc and Rosemary would get stomped out by Savannah, Tasha Steele, Giselle Shaw, and Jay Vidal, and in the end, all four of them will pose over Rosemary and Havoc's body in the ring. So this is building up for their match at Hard to Kill, for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships, where Death Dolls will be defending those against Savannah Evans and Tasha Steeles. Now, after this, we have the design come down to the ring, and the mat is covered in black with candles lit, and minions of the design are surrounding the ring. Diener would get in the ring and say that Sammy Callahan wants to join the design, and if he is serious, then he needs to take the first step in the process, which is for the design to cut Sammy Callahan's hair off his head. So Diener would call Sammy out, and Sammy wouldn't come out at first, but he would come out a minute later with bat in hand. Diener would tell Sammy to hand the bat over to Khan. Sammy would point his bat at Khan in the chest, and Khan would take the bat away from Sammy. That was the first step. Diener would have Angel set up a chair in the middle of the ring and tell Sammy to sit so that he could start the process. Sammy would sit, and Angels would grab scissors and start cutting Sammy's hair. After cutting some of his hair, Dina would tell Angel to stop, and Dina would pick up some hair clippers. As Dina was getting the first stroke in with the clippers, Sammy would stop Dina and take the clippers away from him and begin to cut his own hair. Sammy would cut 
95% of his own hair and leave two strands of hair on his head. Diener would hand Sammy a mirror and tell him to look at himself because this is what he has now become. Sammy, who's now stuck in a trance, would not look in the mirror until Diener yells at him to do so. Sammy would then look at the mirror and then headbutt it and then quickly gets up from the chair and he has a scissors in his hands. This alerts the design and they're surrounding Sammy. Sammy would look at all of them and then he looks at Diener and then he just hands the scissors over to Diener. Diener would then go on to say that the death machine is dead and introduce everyone to Callahan. So Callahan seems to be a part of the design, but if not a part of it, this seems like this is his first step to being a full-fledged member of the design. And we'll have to see more as the weeks will go by to see if he's fully a part of the design or this was all part of his plan to infiltrate the design and probably try to break it from the inside out. Only time will tell. Now, after this, we have Speedball Mike Bailey going against Anthony Green. Speedball would win the match by pinfall by hitting Ultimate Weapon on Green. These two had a good match, and I'm saying this right now. I think in 2023, if Speedball's contract is not up with Impact, I have no idea what his contract is or when it's up. But I can see them pushing Speedball Mike Bailey into the heavyweight uh, championship contendership. And he could probably even be heavyweight champion by the end of the year, if not Steve Macklin. Because, again, they're putting a lot of time and a lot of effort into Mike Bailey. And Mike Bailey constantly puts on good matches with anybody that he's in the ring with in Impact. He did it with Josh Alexander. He did it here with Anthony Green. He did it last year with Trey Miguel and all the other guys in the X Division. So, I can see Impact putting the belt on uh, Speedball if they want to do that, if they decide to. But... If they don't put it on him, I can see them put it on Macklin. He will be the guy to take it off of Macklin to basically be the world champion before this year is done with. But only time will tell with that. But again, I can see them really putting more time and effort into Mike Bailey the same way that AEW did with Dante Martin in 2021. So time will tell. Now off to the main event. Six-man tag match. Jonathan Gresham, Rich Swan, and Joe Hendry. Going against Moose, Steve Macklin, and Eddie Edwards. Moose would get the win for his team by pinfall when Macklin was close to his corner and Moose would tag himself in behind Macklin and Joe Hendry didn't notice it. Joe Hendry would hit Macklin with a pop-up powerbomb and as soon as he gets up, Moose would be in the ring and he would hit Joe Hendry with a spear for the win. Now, this match had all six guys in it. Each one of them had their own personal uh, vendetta against certain individuals in this match. Jonathan Gresham with Eddie Edwards, Moose with Joe Hendry, Rich Swan with Steve Macklin. This was all to see what team was going to build momentum into their respective matches going into Hard to Kill, and the Bad Guys team would get the momentum going into that event. Now, after the match, when the good guys leave the ring and they walk up the ramp, you see Eddie Edwards in the middle of the ring, Macklin and Moose outside of the ring. The lights would flicker in the arena, and you would just hear like thunder. Uh, sounds throughout the arena and you just see Moose and Macklin and Edwards start looking up and they don't know what's going on and that's basically how we leave with Impact with confusion and I'm just saying it right now PCO is coming back to Impact Wrestling well he took some hiatus off but he's going to come back to go against uh, Eddie Edwards because his business is not done with Eddie because Eddie buried PCO in November I had to look back at that to make sure the time was right and it was 
uh, Eddie buried PCO in November, and PCO has been out since November, so it seems right for PCO to come back to get at Eddie Edwards because of that. So we have to wait and see where PCO is going to come back to get his revenge on Eddie Edwards. But with that, that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. The first thing to note is that on SmackDown, Adam Pearce would announce that next week there will be a start of a SmackDown Tag Team Tournament, and the winners will face the Usos for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. And the first match of the tournament will be Sheamus and Drew McIntyre going against the Viking Raiders. Now, as I said on Monday Night Raw, they already start showing you that they're splitting up the tag titles, and this just further confirms it because at one point in 2022, the tag belts were unified and they will be just defended as the tag team championships. Now, it seems that they're splitting them up with Raw tag team titles on Raw, SmackDown tag team titles on SmackDown. So I can see in 2023, they're probably going to do the same thing with the Undisputed World Championship too. So the bloodline just basically held the Universal Tag Team Championships and also the Universal Heavyweight Championships. So I believe that they will be the only group technically in WWE history to have ever achieved that accomplishment. So congrats to the bloodline because we all know that story is going to end. Now, with that being said, the first match of the night was for the Intercontinental Championship. It is the challenger Braun Strowman going against the champion Gunther. Now, Gunther would retain his Intercontinental Championship by pinfall when both Gunther and Braun Strowman were on the top turnbuckle. Gunther would find his way off the turnbuckle and Gunther would grab Braun and hit him with a powerbomb for the win. This was a heavy hitting match between Braun and Gunther. I expected nothing else from it. And also, for the people that don't like Braun, and I understand you don't like him for what the stupid stuff that he did tweet it out, you gotta remember, this man is a big dude. He is a strong man. He doesn't come from the wrestling background. But whenever he's in the ring with somebody like a Gunther or He's in the ring with a Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns. You got to pay him that respect because this man puts his whole heart out on the line. And he was able to do that here with Gunther. So, again, I understand the outrage that people get from Braun, but pay him some respect. He had a great match with Gunther here. But in the end, Gunther still won. And he is your still your Intercontinental Champion. Now, after this, Rey Mysterio will come down to the ring and Rey will talk about his son, Dominic. Ray would mention that he's getting sick and tired of his son Dominic acting up, and Ray would declare that he is now entering himself into the Royal Rumble. So more than likely next week on Monday Night Raw, we're probably going to get Dom entering himself into the Royal Rumble, and we're probably going to have a father-son showdown at the Royal Rumble. But that's whenever the Royal Rumble comes around. After Ray announces that he enters himself into the Royal Rumble, Karrion Cross and Scarlett will come down to the ring. Cross would then start to play mind games with Rey Mysterio, having Rey reminisce about the time that he won the Royal Rumble 17 years ago, and he would ask Rey how proud his son Dominic was at the time. Cross would say that Rey probably doesn't know how proud his son was because he wasn't there for his son home. Cross would ask how disappointed Rey is knowing that Dominic isn't like Rey Mysterio and that Rey wasn't there to teach him to be just like him. So, Ray would get upset at Cross, and then he would punch Cross in the face. Now, you have both men fighting in the middle of the ring. Ray would get carrying Cross in position to hit the 619, but Scarlet would grab Ray Mysterio's leg, and Ray would stop. Ray would look at Scarlet, but then he would focus his attention back on Cross, and once he goes to run over to Cross, Cross will lock in the Cross jacket on Ray Mysterio, making Ray go unconscious. So, in two weeks, it was announced that Karrion Cross will go against Rey Mysterio the night before Roy Rumble on the final night of SmackDown. So, 
we got Karrion Cross going against Rey Mysterio in two weeks. Now, after this, we will have Zia Lee going against Tegan Knox. Tegan Knox will win the match by pinfall by hitting the Shining Wizard. After this, Bray Wyatt will come down to the ring and he sits in his rocking chair. So this is an old element of the old version of Bray Wyatt that we haven't seen in some time. Bray will make the proclamation that at the Royal Rumble, it will be the rebirth of Bray Wyatt. He talks about how he's going to make LA Knight basically feel fear and that at Royal Rumble, the only thing Bray Wyatt can make LA Knight do is run. So we're getting a new version, quote unquote, of Bray Wyatt here. What do I expect from it? I don't know. Again, there was a QR code like before Bray Wyatt came out. It basically showed like him and his Mr. Rogers form whenever he went against uh, Seth Rollins, like one of the promos, and it says, see you in hell. So I can see we're probably going to get the old demented uh, demon version of Bray Wyatt at the Royal Rumble, but only time will tell with that. And also after Bray made his proclamation, we got the old like vanishy spooky video of him like disappearing. So again, we're adding old elements of Bray Wyatt back into this new uh, this new variation of Bray. But what are we going to get at uh, the Royal Rumble with Bray Wyatt? I don't know, but it's going to be interesting to see. Now, after this, we have Liv Morgan going against Raquel Rodriguez. Raquel would win the match by pinfall when Raquel would swat Liv Morgan out of the air when she went for a crossbody. Then you would see Raquel grab Liv and hit her with a Tejano bomb for the win. Now, after this, we go to the main event, Kevin Owens going against Sami Zayn. The match would end in a disqualification when both Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were beaten up and tired, and they're at their respective corners trying to get up, and out of nowhere, the Usos and Solo would appear and attack Kevin Owens. Now, Sami would look surprised by this because earlier in the night, Sami would look to go to the Bloodlines locker room, and he knocks on the door, but the only person that comes out is Paul Heyman. Paul told Sammy that he was told by Roman Reigns not to have the Usos or Solo be at the arena and for have Sammy to take care of Kevin Owens all by himself. So when Sammy sees the Usos and Solo here, Sammy's just shocked. So as the Usos and Solo are beating up on Kevin Owens, you will see them put Kevin Owens on the commentary table. The Usos would tell Sammy, hey, he did a good job. He did what he needed to do. He did it for the bloodline that they're proud of him. And Sammy's still looking in disbelief, but he's slowly starting to get undisbelief. Be like shaking his head like, okay, you're right. And then you see the camera just point over to Solo Sokoa. And he's over at the ring announcer's like area. And he runs over and then just jumps off and hits a big body splash on Kevin Owens, who's on the commentary table. And they would break. So Solo smashed Kevin Owens through the commentary table here. SmackDown will end with the bloodline standing tall as Kevin Owens is laid out on a broken commentary table here. So next week, we're probably going to see Sami Zayn probably talk with Roman Reigns and ask him, was that all the part of the plan? And that's probably going to add more fuel to the fire of, is Sami going to walk away from the bloodline or is the bloodline going to beat up on Sami and excommunicate him out of the bloodline? So we'll just have to wait and see on next week's episode of SmackDown. But with that, that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, on to AEW Rampage. Rampage will open up with a TNT Championship match. Juice Robinson going against the champion Darby Allen. Darby Allen would retain the TNT Championship by pinfall when Juice would go for a superplex, but Darby would reverse it into the Scorpion Death Drop and finish Juice by hitting the Coffin Drop for the win. So Darby and Juice had a good match 
opener for Rampage. And this is, again, more than likely for people that don't know who Juice Robinson is. They're going to learn who Juice Robinson is after this match. We're probably going to see more of Juice on AEW in the time coming probably closer. Not so certain how close because, again, AEW got a big roster. But hopefully we get more of Juice on our television screen because, again, he had a good match here with Darby Allen. Now, after this, we have the Acclaim come out. The Acclaim do their raps. They're out here because they're supposed to get their hands cemented in for the Walk of Fame. But before they can get their hands into the cement, the guns will come out. The guns will tell the Acclaim that the only reason that they're popular is because they stole their dad away from them. And that they should be getting their hands in the cement for the Hollywood Walk of Fame instead of the Acclaim. So you will see Billy Gunn grab the mic and he tells the Acclaim that the guns are right. And he gives a little wink to Anthony Bowens and Max Caster, and he allows the guns to put their hands in the cement. But when they are doing so, you see the acclaim basically pants the guns. The guns freak out, and this was nothing but a little uh, juvenile prank from the acclaim onto the guns. And now we're going to be building up for the guns going against the acclaim, and I'm cool with that because again, the guns are trying to prove that they deserve to be the top tag team in AEW, and. Also, the Acclaim and the Guns, they need to have a proper rivalry. I mean, they had a short rivalry in the middle of 2022. But for them, I want them to have a nice extended rivalry here. And they could probably cap it off with the Guns beating the Acclaim. Because I see that's probably like the best tag team to beat the Acclaim to become tag team champions. And for the Guns to do it, that would be poetic. But only time will tell. Now, after this, we had... Eddie Kingston and Ortiz going against the Kings of the Black Throne, which is Malachi Black and Brody King. Kings of the Black Throne would win the match by pinfall thanks to Buddy Matthews and Julia Hart interfering. When Malachi Black was down on the mat, Buddy and Julia would run down to the ring. Buddy would run down to the ring with a chair in hand, and when he slides in, his chair is underneath the feet of Eddie, who stomps on it. Eddie would take the chair away from Buddy, and it looks like he's about to hit him. Julia Hart will walk behind Eddie Kingston, and as soon as Eddie turns around, his hands are still up in the air with the chair. Julia just falls down to the mat, and she starts yelling for dear bloody God's sakes. And this will lead to Ortiz running into the ring, and he will take the chair away from Eddie. And Ortiz will start chastising Eddie because Ortiz thinks that Eddie was going to hit Julia with the chair. So as Eddie and Ortiz are mouthing off with each other, Malachi Black would get up and turn Ortiz around and look to hit a spinning heel kick. Ortiz would move and Eddie would eat the kick. Malachi would push Ortiz out of the ring and pit Eddie Kingston. Ortiz would try to get in the ring as the pinfall was happening, but Buddy would hold Ortiz down. Malachi would walk up on Ortiz, who was still being held by Buddy Matthews, and tell Ortiz that he did a good job. Ortiz is giving Malachi the bird, and you would hear Malachi tell Buddy to throw Ortiz back in the ring with Eddie now as the Kings of the Black Throne walk up the ramp. So this is still building on to Eddie Kingston and Ortiz not having trust with each other. And basically the House of Black is trying to just separate Ortiz and Kingston. The reason why is never really properly stated yet, but more than likely only time will tell. I just think that House of Black is just trying to cause chaos and I'm cool with that if that's their whole uh, regime and this their whole deal they said anybody can get it once they came back on the main roster so I can see them basically just causing chaos for everybody and I'm cool with that so that's just what it is 
Now off to the main event, tag team street fight. Ty Mello and Anna Jay going against the team of Ruby Soho and Willow Nightingale. Ruby and Willow would win the match by pinfall when Ruby would hit Ty Mello with Destination Unknown onto thumbtacks. And that's how Ruby and Willow Nightingale would win the match. Now this match was bloody, more than likely on the part of Ruby Soho. She really bled in this match. Her face was nothing but blood, like towards the end of the match here. Um, Anna Jay could not like save her partner Ty Mello because Willow Nightingale would power bomb Anna Jay off of the entrance stage onto a table underneath the entrance stage and basically have Anna smash through the table. So that's the reason why Anna couldn't save her partner Ty Mello. This match was utter chaos. You saw them use tables, chairs, bob wire, thumbtacks. I mean, Ty Mello and Anna Jay, I just think that's their thing now. And rivalries that are extended with the women, if it has Ty Mello and Anna Jay as a tag team, their blow-off or the big final match is basically going to be a street fight because that happened, I believe, last year. It was Ty and Anna going against Penelope Ford and the Bunny, and they had a street fight the same way that they had here and it was bloody with all four women being bloody this one all four women didn't get bloody here it was only ruby soho so ruby was the only one getting bloody bloody did a mug but ruby and willow would get the win for their team here i suggest if you want to watch anything from rampage as again watch the beginning match the tnt championship and watch the main event the street fight so with that, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I just want to make one thing clear. WWE, as of right now, has not been sold to any type of proprietor, any type of buyer. That was the big rumor going around. I believe it was, what, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, one of the two um, reports. Well, not reports. Rumors were going around that WWE has been sold to Saudi Arabia. That has not been the case that has not been publicized by any wall street journal or any type of money magazine or any type of money website or anything of that nature wwe is still in the mcmahon family is still um public property meaning that you could buy stocks in wwe it's still under that type of realm here the only thing that has happened in the world of wwe on the business side is that stephanie mcmahon she has resigned as co-CEO of WWE. So she is now basically stepping away from the WWE. And people are going to say it's because of her father, Vince McMahon, being back on the board. I'm not going to say that. I'm not inside the WWE. I'm not inside the board. But what I will say is that from people constantly talking out of their mouth about quote-unquote sources that they got here and there, I'm going to just say this. WWE right now in the financial side seems to look like an episode of Secession. If you guys have seen Secession on HBO, you guys know the Roy family, the old man and his kids. The kids are trying to preserve the company for as much as they can. The father is just trying to keep power as much as he can as he is diminishing as he's an older gentleman. And he thinks he knows what he's doing the best for his company because he had to build the company up while the kids just want to uh, save it and do it their way. The father isn't trying to have it. This just seems like it's going in that way for WWE. For mad years, you always heard the rumors with Shane and Vince. They're kind of having a little beef in like business-wise. Family-wise, you don't know much, but always with the business. Shane wants to go away with the WWE. 
like do it his vision like he had some ideas with it Vince would shut it down to the point that Shane would have to leave the WWE and basically try to do its own thing only for him to come back years later and work in the WWE again with his family because again that's family and that's what you do um but now that Stephanie and Shane are basically gone away from WWE the only person a part of the WWE that's a McMahon well in the McMahon family on the board of business side is technically Vince McMahon and Triple H those are only two that are McMahon's in the board and it's going to be interesting to see if the company actually gets sold now, for years, people have been saying that Vince has been trying to sell the WWE. People are saying that there's potential buyers for the WWE. I think they said NBC, uh, Comcast, Netflix, even Tony Khan and his dad. Like the Khan family have thrown their hats into the ring of trying to buy the WWE if it is up for sale. And personally, I wouldn't mind if Tony Khan were to buy WWE because you get WWE with AEW, get two entities mixed together. That'd be great, but I don't see that one happening because Vince is not going to sell his business over to the Khan family. I don't care how much money they throw at him. He's not going to do that because Vince has an ego and everybody has worked for Vince McMahon, at least if they are a wrestler or on the creative side, have mentioned that Vince has an ego. And let me just state this for you guys now. Vince has always won. When it came down to professional wrestling, he has taken down all of his competition one way or another. He took down WCW, which was owned by Ted Turner. He took down ECW, which was owned by Paul Heyman. He took down all the other uh, territories back in the late 80s, early 90s when he wanted to go into the pay-per-view route. And he wanted to take WWF back in the day and make it a nationwide uh promotion he had to basically just start ganking top stars from other territories and say hey i'll pay this amount of money to come over to my promotion and that made all the other promotions basically start dying out and dying and when that happened vince went over to that state that territory started buying up that library buying up their television time and vince started to basically become the big powerhouse that wwe is today so for me to think that WWE Vince's baby will be sold off to Tony Khan and his family, who is Vince's competition right now, even though Vince might say AEW isn't his competition since AEW was only built in 2019, that is still your competition because that's where your wrestlers are going. That's where you, some of your popular names that you've had are going and they're going to do things that you won't allow them to do. So again, I don't see Vince selling his company that he built from from a territory over into a national not even national but to a global powerhouse this big conglomerate and being sold to the cons his competition i don't see that happening i don't see it at all but weirder things have happened in professional wrestling only time will tell i'll be waiting to see how this whole thing unfolds again i am a lot invested into this because the only thing I know about WWE is the on-screen stuff, the stuff that they put out. And I always hear the rumors and reports. I don't like to broadcast it on this because, again, I don't like going in here and stating things that were wrong. And then I got to apologize and backtrack. The last time I did that was whenever uh, Malachi Black 
talked about how people got his contract wrong and how people start sending him death threats and all this type of stuff. And I sent out like some false information at the time that I got from rumors and reports from other like wrestling journalists. And again, that made me felt scummy whenever that was wrong. And he talked about how false uh, reports get spread around, how people don't know nothing. So I like to wait until official word has been like said, and then I'll bring it on to this. So right now, I'm just waiting to see what's going on with WWE and everything else. The official word is Stephanie has resigned. And right now, the rumors are WWE might be sold or might be on the auction block to be sold. I don't know. I'm going to be waiting and seeing. I just wanted to bring that up to you guys because, again, I I think that's important because if WWE is going to get sold, it's a question of who's going to buy it and what are they going to do with WWE. Right now, WWE has a whole lot of events being uh, marketed, so I think WWE as an entity is still going to go on, but I think as a business, the business model, what is the new business model going to be if somebody happens to buy it? I don't know. I think reports are going to come about that if WWE ever does get bought, but only time will tell. Also, before I forget, Stephanie also did break her ankle. I don't know how long it was broken, but her ankle was broke. She did happen to Instagram, like photo herself in like a hospital bed with her foot wrapped up. I think she got surgery on her foot, her ankle. So uh, rest up, Stephanie McMahon, and I hope you do well in your future endeavors. Well, hopefully you go back to WWE whenever you want to. But again, take care of your ankle and your foot and uh, Triple H, look after your wife. Now, with that said, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys have a great day. Please do not get stressed. Please try to, uh, if you have it to get stressed, please bring it down to a minimum stress. Whatever you got to do without harming yourself and or anybody else. Play video games, play cards, uh, read a book, watch TV, watch a movie online, do something. Just try to downsize on your stress and try to just take a breather and just relax because life is going to be life and just try to do what you can to at least uh, minimize the stress that you have in your life. Now, next week, I'll be back here again with your wrestling highlights of the week, but you can tune in to your boy tomorrow on his Sunday episodes. That's where I talk about current events in the news. But if you don't want to listen to that episode again, I'll be back here next Saturday with your wrestling highlights of the week. But with that all being said, please have a great Saturday. Please have a great weekend. Please don't be a dick. Please be courteous to the other drivers that's on the road. Please be courteous to also other people out there in the world because you don't know what they're dealing with and they don't know what you're dealing with either. So try to at least extend a helpful hand and a helpful heart to other people that might act like dicks. But trust me, on the inside, they're hurting and they just don't know how to ask for help. Be that uh, guiding light and guiding uh grace and figure for them so with that being said this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i and i am him i love you all this isn't goodbye this is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again and with that being said kanye could you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh-huh. jesus wept uh-huh.